Horror Culture Show, where the show that discusses the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's our first original versus remake of 2023. Nice. Fitting in with the theme of Japanuary. Definitely. It had to it had to be this. I mean, when you think originals and remakes and Japan, I don't know well, I mean I don't know everyone else, but immediately I think of the wave of Americanized remakes of Japanese films in the two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one that started it all. Particularly horror films. Oh, horror films. Yeah, specifically horror, horror films. films. Yeah. I mean, you, you always had, like, Magnificent Seven and, and such. Yeah. But, yeah. In terms of... And J-horror, specifically. Very much J-horror, yeah. Um, and this is the first one to do it. And it is The Ring. Or Ringu. Yes. Yeah. And it's really the first film... When we say J-horror, we don't necessarily mean Japanese horror films. J-horror was quite specific in its... Sort of use of supernatural elements yes yeah. and ghosts mainly so this was really the first j horror the the original obviously uh 1998 yeah. it was really the first one to sort of transcend in that sort of style to the west yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um and both films are actually staples of the genre i'd say in their own right i mm. i feel like they're definitely um they're like marker points of the genre. Like there was before Ring and there was after Ring and there's before the Ring and after the Ring. You know, it, you can see the trends that they set within both, which is really interesting. Um, and yeah, there's no bad films today. I know, how refreshing. Starting with the poll results, the original one with 87% of the vote, the remake only got 13%. Yeah, I think it's one of those cases where people have seen both. Yeah. And it's a strange one for us to to sit here and say this was the first time we watched the Ring remake mm -hmm. as two homosexual millennials, you know, who love Naomi Watts and horror films. It's weird. I think yeah. we were definitely in the minority. I think people have watched the first and the uh, the, the original and the remake. Mm -hmm. And ma made their choice. Yeah. And I, I don't think there was a bad choice between no. the two necessarily. And both sort of represent different tastes yeah. in horror films. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly justified. If it was a 50-50 split, I'd be like, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. Well, starting in 1998 with Ringu, uh, directed by Hideo Nakata, who directed Dark Water, Kaiosu, Sadistic and Maso Sadistic and masochistic. Oh. Last scene, Kaiden, chat room, the complex, ring two, the ring two is in the American one. Oh. Sadako, uh, White Lily, Life in Overtime, The Woman Who Keeps a Murderer, and more. Screenplay by Hiroshi Takahashi, uh, who wrote Sodomo Noichi, Occult Bolshevism. Serpent's Path, Requiem from the Darkness, Don't Look Up, Araki, Juon Origins, and more. Mm, okay. Uh, based on the novel by Koji Suzuki, who wrote uh, the novels for Raisin, Dark Water, Adrift, Eyes, A Fellow, Suzuki Koji, Real Horror. Um, I mean, that's his own show. It's his name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Asako Noseki, At Baby Miru. Raisin and I've already said Raisin and an episode of Masters of Horror. So yeah, so um, Hideo Nakata actually made two 
of Koji Suzuki's films. Yeah. So he did Dark Water as well. Yeah, yeah. It it sounds... Obviously, I haven't watched all of them, and I'm, a lot of them I'm not aware of. But by if I'm judging a film by its title, it sounds like everyone involved, writer and director, they didn't go... They didn't stray too far from the formula no. afterwards. We have seen Dark Water... And it is, in many ways, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Koji Suzuki got his inspiration from uh, for for the ring. He got it from uh, Poltergeist. That makes yeah a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Go on. Made on a budget of one point five million dollars, most of which was provided by Hideo Nakata himself. Oh. And it made $19.4 million at the box office worldwide. That's in American dollars. Uh, it was actually the highest grossing Japanese horror film at the time. Yeah, I think he got his investment back. Yeah. More than. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. With the remake and sequel and the Japanese sequels and TV series. You yeah. Know, all that business. And this is just an original versus remake standard episode. It could have been an original versus remake threesome if the other one was available, though. Because mm. uh, at the time Ringu was first released, South Korea had a ban on Japanese cultural imports, so it couldn't be released there. So the Japanese production company behind Ringu teamed up with a Korean production company to make a Korean version of the film for that market, and it's known as The Ring Virus. And that's unavailable? Yeah, currently. Oh. Yeah, it was released in 1999. Okay. Which is really interesting that mm. they, you know, the same crew made it. I mean, I wonder how much that differs from from this one. It wouldn't be the same crew, would it? Be a, it would be a South Korean. They crew. teamed up. They teamed up with. The, that's what I just said. Oh, I, yeah, but I mean, in terms of it, the Japanese the crew wouldn't have been company, able. Yeah, but they wouldn't have been able to go to. But they wouldn't have been able to have gone there. No, but if South they were Korea. sharing their ideas, yeah, and no, of course, then it's pretty much yeah. going to be the same film. Yeah, probably. It it would probably be shot for shot, really. Yeah, when you think about it. Talk about our first feature presentation. Ring you. During a sleepover, high schoolers Tomoko and Masami discuss an urban legend about a videotape that curses its viewers to die in seven days after a foreboding phone call. Um, yeah. Urban legend. Yeah. Hot topic in 1998. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, this one hasn't got uh, Robert England in, though. No. Um, I love those opening credits. Um, eerie credits over a rough sea with static and a... A very minimalist score, and I love yeah the score yeah and There's... how you know subtle it is. Yeah. Subtlety is the word I'm going to use a lot uh -huh. when discussing this film. Yeah, that's a handful of films that still scare me whenever I watch them, and this is absolutely one of them. I just it's just something about this film that is kind of, in a way, without sounding overdramatic, it's kind of suffocating, like the tension and the dread in this film like it is non-stop from the moment it starts until the moment the film finishes no matter what's going on you kind of feel that presence there all times because of the cinematography because of the soundtrack it really really just gives that strong sense of dread all the time yeah and it builds yeah and builds and builds and 
I knew what was coming. Mm. I knew the first time I ever, I, yeah. I had seen it. I had seen all the clips, the iconic scene. I knew what was coming, so I was expecting mm-hmm. it. But I do imagine what it would have been oh, like God, if yeah. I didn't know it was coming. If I was if, you know, completely oblivious to what the film was and what why everyone was telling me mm. to go see it, you know. And I didn't I didn't go see it. I was ten at the time, but I saw it a few years later. Um, what I thought was very strange was sat in our front room on watching a giant TV. Duh. Yeah. And watching a very crisp and clear copy. Yeah. <laughs> when everyone in the film watches it on a small old fashioned TV set. Yes. And it's very much the same for the remake as well. <laughs> Definitely. I did think I was like, oh I wonder what would this be like if our TV looked like the TV yeah. in the film. <laughs> um Tomoko then confesses that last week she and her friends watched the strange videotape and received an inexplicable phone call afterwards. They receive a false alarm phone call, then Masami goes to the toilet. Tomoko witnesses the TV turn on by itself and is killed by an unseen presence. Now, these two girls mm. were a little touchy feely, do you not think? They were, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't sure because I mean there's no reference to a relationship. No. But they were quite touchy feely. They were. <laughs> they were having a little wrestle on the floor, mm-hmm. weren't they? <laughs> Lesbian icons. Um, yeah, Tomoko doesn't live long enough for us to find out, no. though, if they're more than, than just friends. I'm not sure if they would have been in 1998 film. Um, that negative freeze frame on yeah. Tomoko's face. Very simple. It is. Very effective. Yeah. Because it keeps you guessing. And I'm going to say it for the first time. Just as a comparison, but the remake doesn't necessarily keep you guessing in that way. Whereas this is just a freeze frame on the face. I don't. I'm going to quickly say something to follow up that weird noise I just made, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> that wasn't me trying to talk. Um, I don't know because it kind of zooms in on her in the remake, but it doesn't show you what happens after. It does. It does. It does. And I know what you mean, because when it does, there's definitely been a bit more makeup applied to the face than in this film, when we yes. see the same shot. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the remake is absolutely more is more. But I, the death scenes... Actually, I'm just remembering the random bath one that's included. Brian Cox. Okay, yeah, no, no. The, yeah. the remake is more is more. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think the subtlety works. They're, let's be honest, they're for a different audience. They are. But how strange though, because I mean, we were only here the other week saying how over the top Japanese cinema is, specifically within horror films. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this one really, really is a masterclass in subtlety. It's a slow burn. A sort of very, yeah. a, a, not a very slow burn. It's not the longest film, but it is a slow burn, mm. you know? Um, Tomoko's aunt, journalist Riko Asakawa, investigates this legend and learns during Tomoko's funeral that the three friends who watched the tape with Tomoko died at the same time as her. Uh, before the funeral, we see Riko's son, Yoshi, picked out her dress for her. So he comes across as quite a precocious boy, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, we question if he's precocious by nature or he's just gotten used to fending for himself. Yeah, he's very much neglected. And looking after his mum. 
At the funeral itself, Yoishi follows a pair of feet up the stairs and to a bedroom where he's entranced by the switched off TV. Um, what's very interesting is in folklore, it does usually state that kids and animals are more in tune to the supernatural. Yeah. Um, which I, I thought at this point, I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting point. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes further than that later yeah. on. Mm -hmm. um, so Rico sees footage of one of the victims frozen in a silent scream, just like we had, we saw at the uh, Tomoko's death. And she's informed that the victim's heart just stopped and the cause is still unexplainable. We also see that Tomoko was found the same way in her wardrobe. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how she got to the wardrobe. She, the freeze frame was in the kitchen. Yeah. So I don't know how she got to the wardrobe. But, I mean, you don't need to know. Uh, <laughs> Reiko also collects photos Tomoko had developed, uh, noticing that her and her three friends' faces are all distorted in one of the images. Which I think is a great effective it is. Yeah. thing. Because it, it's a disturbing image, mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of separate from the victim themselves. You know, it's, mm. it's foreboding. There's a lot of foreboding in there the is. remake. Yeah. And a little less in this one. Definitely borrowed from Final Destination. <clears throat> that, that, sorry, it's borrowed by Final Destination. There we borrowed are. For, borrowed by. <laughs> uh, Rico then decides to visit Izu Pacific Land Resort, where the four friends were staying. And whilst there, she discovers an unmarked videotape. It contains brief, seemingly unrelated scenes accompanied by screeching sounds and ends with a shot of a well. After watching, Rico sees an apparition and receives a phone call that emits the screeching sounds from the tape. Um, seemingly, the tapes are lent out by the owner of the resort. Yeah. Um, no Netflix. Uh, and he has an array of VHSs on display. Mm -hmm. I only recognised one. Yeah. And that was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> The others, I couldn't really tell what they no. were. <laughs> um, even completely out of context, mm -hmm. this videotape, really creepy. So creepy. Yeah. So creepy. I mean, this has been done to death on YouTube now. Oh, God, yeah. Just random abstract images. There's nothing necessarily violent or, you know, too strong in them really no but even in the remake when something a little slightly more violent is added it's still just as creepy yeah like, no absolutely yeah. absolutely but i think it, it works because it's like oh, what the fuck was that yeah you know and there's nothing it's just like oh okay mm -hmm. you know <laughs> what, yeah what was that <laughs> none of it really made any sense um, the image of the, the the woman brushing her hair in the mirror, mm. that one's the one that's always stuck with me. Yeah. Not because she's creepy. You know, she's a beautiful woman, but there's something eerie. Yeah. I suppose it's that kind of liminal space sort of thing mm -hmm. where everything around it seems so empty. Yeah. Um, convinced that she has been cursed, Rico enlists the help of her psychic ex-husband and Yuishi's seemingly absent father... Ryuji Takayama. Uh, Ryuji and Yoishi pass each other, but Yoishi doesn't acknowledge him. No. 
And Ray Ryuji has to ask Rico what year his son is at school. So this, I think this makes a lot of sense in what I think the film's about. Mm -hmm. And Ryuji is an absent father. Yeah. You know, he should know what year his son is at school. His son should be able to recognise him when passing in the street. But Ryuji doesn't even try to make a conversation. They no. just kind of look at each other awkwardly and go about their day. And it's a really strange one that isn't really discussed in the film. No. There's no reasoning for it. You know, there's no explanation as to why mm. it's like that. Whereas the remake does. Uh, Ryuji watches the tape despite Rico's concerns and agrees to help her. Yeah. Uh, whilst sat at a bench pondering the videotape, Ryuji sees the same set of feet his son did at the uh, at the funeral. Mm -hmm. So seemingly psychic abilities run in the family. Yeah, and this is uh, this is an interesting one mm -hmm. because I think really the whole film is about family. Yeah. So and these connections mm -hmm. and such. Um, dissecting a copy of the tape Rico made, the pair find a cryptic message spoken in Oshima dialect. So they decide to go to Oshima to investigate further. Now, the message is Frolic in Brine, Goblins be thine. Which I'm assuming is just an old phrase or one that they made up for the film. Maybe. I mean, Frolic in Brine, I'm assuming, means salt water. Yeah. In the ocean. Uh, goblins be thine, I don't really know. I don't know. If I had any trivia about it. Oh, <laughs> There was no trivia about no. it. No. Uh, there's also something relating to a local woman predicting the eruption of a volcano in Oshima that piques their interest. Uh, before departing to Oshima, Riko catches Yurishi watching the tape after being told to do so by Tomoko, or the ghost of Tomoko. Um, yeah. She... Riko, she... She doesn't show a lot of uh, emotion, does she? She doesn't, no. Um, but when she does, I think she's a good actress. Yeah, oh yeah, she's and great. And I did, yeah, when you, you see her reaction It's a very natural performance, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead a bit to the character section, but I really think her performance is just really believable. Like, mm. she's just... A mum. Yeah, yeah, there's like nothing flashy or showy to her, you know... She's just acting like a person who's scared she's going to die. Now her son's going to die as well. She's a single mom who works two jobs. <laughs> who loves her kids and never stops. She ain't got one. <laughs> she's a survivor. It's just her and a kitty wink from now on. Uh, <laughs> just me, me and the kid just against me and the world. Just me and my kid against the world. Once this psychic husband gets rid of this fucking ghost for me, he can fuck right off. What's interesting in this viewing of the tape is that we see a little glimpse of someone escaping the well mm -hmm. that we'd never seen before. It's one of those little subtle details. It's yeah. all in the details. You know, we as viewers question what we've seen before. Did we see that previously? Why would we have missed it? What could this mean? So subtle, so effective. Mm -hmm. You know, having the viewer question what they've already seen. Yeah. In, you know, what is also a little bit confusing. Like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Who is this happening? You know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, in Oshima, Riko and Ryuji learn about Shizuko Yamamura, who, prior to her suicide, gained notoriety following a public demonstration of her psychic ability organised by ESP researcher Dr. Hayachiro Ikuma, with whom she had an affair. So this is the woman that also predicted the volcano erupting. Um, What woman? So this is very much based in the supernatural. Yeah. So people being psychic was questioned at the time, but this Ryuji being psychic isn't really questioned. There's no real like oh no no and that's and that's kind of refreshing you know we don't see him attending psychic conventions or people say no you're a bullshit so you're not psychic you know the sort of tropes you'd see in horror films when there's a psychic usually it just happens it's just there and yeah. there's no question about it and I, I kind of like that yeah yeah it's interesting because I mean it's a supernatural film yeah not everything has to be realistic and to the you know to the mm-hmm. letter and uh, when confronting Takashi. Shizuko's brother, who had extorted her, the pair learned through a vision that during the demonstration, Shizuko's young daughter, Sadako, psychically killed a journalist who decried Shizuko's abilities. So it's interesting because now uh, Riko is also having these visions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, and I'll probably talk about it more later, but I think it's the writers, the filmmakers, mm. saying something about the family unit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when... Oh, uh, Do you want to learn a bit about Sadako? Yeah, I'd like to, actually. Uh, good so point. she is based on the legendary Japanese ghost of the Onryo. Uh, usually female, it's a ghost that manifests after dying in a grip of a powerful rage and materialises as a very physical spirit to seek vengeance on the living. Of course, the Juan story, uh, series was based on the same legend. Um, and interestingly enough, in the novel, uh, Sadako was a fully grown woman uh, when she died. And she was also sexually ambiguous and was heavily implied to be intersex as well. Oh. I don't think they'd get away with that on film in 1998. No, no, probably not. Probably I not. But I think that's a really interesting, uh, both of those things, really. I mean... The whole, um, you know, the Japanese ghosts of the Onryo, done so many times. Like, yeah, done yeah. so many times in supernatural Japanese films. Um, and, of course, the iconic image of Sadako with the long hair and the white dress, done to death on YouTube. Uh, that's, that's, that was even of part course. of the IMDb trivia. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's absolutely done to death now. Um, but, yeah. Apart from within Japanese cinema, it, other films don't really get it as spot on as this does. Yeah, it's what I one thing I love about Japanese cinema is the celebration of folklore mm. and Japanese culture and traditions, and that you know is evident in so many Japanese films and works perfectly uh, in so many. In the case of The Ring. Another sort of aspect that I find interesting is the idea of tradition versus modernity. Mm -hmm. The old and the new. The folklore and the technological horror. You know, this, this idea that this, you know, traditional folklore spirit is now inhabiting a videotape. Yeah. 
is very interesting and it, it's not really too dissimilar to what Scream did. No, no. Taking some old and making it modern. Yeah. And making it relatable in 1998. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, who's heard of a haunted 4K uh, <laughs> disc? <Wow. laughs> but, you you know, I think that's really interesting. I think so. And it's like I said, it's why it's a staple in the genre, you know. It did try something new and it's something new that really worked and... You know, you can't really imagine horror without the iconic imagery now of the ring. Yeah, because I can't think of any horror film in the West, particularly American, that did that kind of, you know, everyday technology haunted thing. Well, I suppose like, Poltergeist, you know. I suppose it did, yeah. Poltergeist yeah. did it. But what I love about this is the fact that it's inspired by Poltergeist. And Poltergeist is like, yeah, look, how creepy is this? Fucking ghost inside a TV. <laughs> the ring's like, you know what, fucking hold my beer. And the ghost is going to come out of the fucking TV yeah. into your living room. Yeah, and they've, they've <laughs> turned it into a virus. Yeah, but what I mean I is mean, like... microwave massacre, maybe? <laughs> well, um, but what I mean is that the the image itself of Sadako and the design, you know... Oh, it takes it one step further. Oh, God, you know, yeah. You... I mean, in terms of horror, that's a long... Uh, 16 years yeah yeah between poltergeist and ring mm -hmm. do we say ringu 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 the original. i can't find it anywhere that's called it, but it's called ringu it's the original it? title yeah but when i type it in it never comes up people know what we're talking about i know, I know. <laughs> if you don't know what film we're talking about yet have you been paying attention i know yeah <laughs> or are you asleep uh, after failing to track down Sadako, Rico realises that Ryuji never received a phone call after watching the tape, as she had at the cabin in Aizu. After a boat ride back to the mainland provided by Takashi, the pair rush to the cabin to investigate. Uh, Riku calls Yoishi, who is bored with his grandfather, and she apologises to him. Now, it, she doesn't specify what she's apologising about, but I think it could be interpreted in two ways. She's apologising for the tape situation, mm. which is probably most likely, yeah. but she could also be apologising, well, she could be apologising for both, really, but she could also be apologising for her past neglect. Yeah. She's realising that. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, seeing the story... Of Sadako's family. Oh yeah, can't be as fucked up as this family. Let's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I've still got a chance to turn it around a bit. <laughs> uh, Rico and Ryuji find a sealed well in the cabin's crawl space, and through another vision, learn that Doctor Rikuma bludgeoned Sadako, pushed her into this well, and trapped her inside. They conclude that Sadako remained alive, and that the curse was born when a videotape recorded the rage she had projected so definitely still in keeping with that folklore yeah the rage being emitted mm -hmm. this time into a videotape yeah uh rico she now sees visions yeah she did and now she really sees them and she's the one that sees the vision of sadako being bludgeoned and pushed into the mm -hmm. well um, so it's not really referenced whether she had psychic abilities, if that's what brought her and her husband together, 
you know, obviously, um, Yoishi has inherited mm. some sort of psychic abilities or some connection with the, the supernatural. Um, but it's interesting that Rico, now that she's reconnected with her ex-husband, she's, you know, kind of learned her lesson with her son that her abilities, and they're really fucking helpful, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it's because of poor writing. Because sometimes it's easy to, for a plot device, oh, we'll just have a character who's psychic, who realises what's going on and mm -hmm. finds this and then finds that. Oh, we'll explain it away. They're psychic. I think it actually works in terms yeah, yeah, of the film. Yeah. Um, it's not just a, a cheap sort of mm -hmm. way to get to the end quicker. Um, could... Yeah. Sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> I made my weird noise then. Uh, when draining the water, they find Sadako's remains, and since Rico does not die, despite having passed her deadline, they believe that the curse is broken. Um, the water is fucking filthy is. in that well. Yeah. And I love how it looks black. Mm. When Rico... So essentially what they're doing is Ryuji is in the well with buckets. Yeah. And Rico is pulling the full buckets up and pouring them away. Now, the water's filthy, but like a, a brown, mucky-ness uh, to it in the well. But the way the lighting is, when Rico's pouring it away, the water looks black. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. It, it, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I will give them credit and say that that was a deliberate thing. So I, I thought that looked very... Um, also, a great visual of Rico pulling wet, matted hair from Zadarko's skull mm -hmm. and then embracing the skeleton whilst chest high in filthy water. I love that image. Yeah. And she, I mean, she's almost mothering Zadarko. Yeah. After hearing her story and what happened to her, mm -hmm. um, she feels a great sense of sympathy. Yeah. And she you know, holds her like a child the way that she hasn't been with her own mm -hmm. child. Um, Rico, she questions how a father could kill his own daughter like that, um, but never questions her ex-husband why he's totally neglected <laughs> no. the family. <laughs> uh, the next day, Ryuji finds his TV turned on by itself. Show, excuse me. Showing the well at the end of the videotape. Sadako's vengeful spirit staggers from the well and out of the TV, advancing towards him and frightening him to death. Um, yeah, it's been completely ruined <laughs> by uh, parodies galore, yeah. but it's still part of horror history. Oh my god. It's iconic. Can you imagine being in a cinema at the time of this film's release and not knowing that yeah. was going to happen? I would fucking lose my shit. That would be unbelievable. Such a fantastic... Would you say twist? That That's what happens? It's, it's a difficult one. Because the whole film's gone with, you know, what you don't see scares you. We're not going to show you actually what happens when these people die. To, okay, now we're going to show you what fucking happens. Yeah. Because it's a difficult one, because you've gone through the whole film 
obviously we know what's going to happen, but you kind of think something's going to happen. Yeah. Because you've been given that deadline, seven days. Yeah. And it may have been kind of disappointing for nothing to happen. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? What I mean? yeah. Because the film builds so subtly and so slowly in between the first, between Tomoko and Ryuji, mm -hmm. there are no deaths in between. No. There's investigation, there's creepy moments, and there's the ever-gathering sense of yeah. doom. Mm -hmm. So it would be kind of blue-balling, mm -hmm. should we call it, uh, because they've edged you for so long. And if they didn't provide, which is quite interesting because obviously what they give us is a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Remind me never to make any references like that again. But you understand what I mean. I understand what you mean. You understand what I mean. So for this to come out of nowhere is pure genius. Because really this should have happened halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Rico saves herself in the end. Yeah. Because someone had to die. Yeah. And it, it kind of had to be Ryuji. Mm -hmm. Because he's a neglectful father. Yeah. Um, more neglectful than Rico. Yeah. And I, I, do, I do find it interesting because I feel like he's the one punished and she's let off because her neglect is fixable. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of say, oi, lady. Yeah, maybe you can't have it all. And I don't necessarily... I don't agree with the sentiment of the film. If it's saying that Rico can't have it all because mm. she's a career woman, but she's neglecting her son yeah, because of her career. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's interesting. It and again, you know, I love it. Layers to yeah. a horror film. Um... That close-up on Sadako's eye. Yeah. I mean, it's up there with Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's the most you see of her face. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't give anything else away, apart from the, the nails, or mm -hmm. lack thereof. Yeah, I, ju I just think it's a, a wonderful scene. Obviously iconic. Yeah. Um, it influenced so many films afterwards. Yeah. yeah, that one scene changed everything. Yeah, yeah. And... The effects have held up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously it's going to look a little hokey. I don't know. I think it looks fantastic. I mean, you know, it's someone coming out of TV. So the one thing it has on its side is the fact that you can't make that look realistic anyway. Mm, so, yeah. you know, it's never going to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I really feel like it looks incredible. So Rico, who had been trying to call Ryuji at the time, hears his last moments over the phone. Guided by an apparition, she deduces the actual way to break the curse, copying the tape and showing it to someone else within seven days, effectively letting the curse spread. One truth or death. Yeah. <laughs> Rico realises that while she did this, Ryuji did not. Desperate to save Ryuji, Rico drives to her father's home, seemingly to show him the tape. Yeah. She says he needs to do her a favour and a favour for Yuichi, so... Yeah. Yeah. To let the old man die. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. I think 
And that's it. That's the end. That is. So we assume what she does. I mean, there is a sequel that we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have seen. I haven't seen the oh, original you seen. Ring 2, no. You've seen Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Uh, Ringu, I think, expertly blends traditional Japanese folklore and modern horror. Um, spearheaded the J-horror boom here in the West during the late 90s and early 2000s. I think it builds wonderfully to that definitive moment mm-hmm. when Sadako is revealed and uh, knows exactly how much to show and when. Yeah. I think the theme of being fearful of new technology, um, despite the now outdated technology in the film, <laughs> and uh, the fear of modernity is a very interesting one. Uh, I think Japanese cinema is at its best when it references tradition and, you know, folklore. I, I really enjoy that in Japanese cinema. Um, I also, as I've said, think it's a story about family and the effects of the breakdown of the familial unit and also about women looking to function in the modern world as career women and mothers. Um, Like I said previously, I'm not sure if I agree with that sentiment, Mm. but I think it's an interesting one. It is. To bring up in a a scary film. It's, you know, it remembers to be scary. As well as have something to say. Yeah, it's an absolute masterclass in terror and it's fully interesting. And when I first watched it, I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. But it was only when we watched it at the, at the cinema last year for the first time where I was like, okay, this is genuinely one of the best J-horror films I've ever seen. Like, it's fucking incredible. It's, yeah, it's just so, it's such an important film as well. If you're a horror fan, you have to have seen this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's on that list. If anyone said, you know, I want to get into horror, what do I need to watch? Yeah. This is definitely on there. It is. Um, I, appre- I actually appreciated it more this time around, doing it for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, I like a slow burn, and it's not a long film. It's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Decent, you know, but I did maybe think it was maybe a little too slow. Mm. for my taste but now you know analyzing it yeah i uh realize oh okay yes yeah of course and now for the audience out there who always chooses the english language version when they're watching something asian on netflix it's the ring 2002 (laughs) (laughs) for everyone scared of subtitles um, but no, I think every film needs subtitles these days. The mumbling that goes on. <laughs> despite despite that terrible joke, um, this is equally as important, this film, as the original. Um, for better or for worse, can't say I like what it led to, but you know what? It's a game changer. Mm. And it is directed by Gore Verbinski, who uh, directed Rango, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. Curse for Wellness, The Lone Ranger, The Mexican, Mousehood. A Cure for Wellness. A Cure for Wellness, yeah. Are you trying to forget that film? No. No, it wasn't terrible. Who was in that? Mia Goff and the guy who was the Green Goblin in The Maze of Spider-Man 2 who couldn't act. Mia Goff as in? Dane, whatever his name is. Paul Dano? No, no, no. Dane Cook? No, Dane... Bowers. Not Dane Bowers, no. No, what the fuck is this guy's name? He is usually a really good actor, but he was really bad in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Dane Dehan. 
Okay. Yeah, Jason Isaacs is in it. Um, yeah, Mia Goth. Yeah, as in a star, Mia Goth. Well, she's getting. She's not a star anymore. Is she? she is a star. What you doing there, James? <laughs> to those five people that have seen that. Modern, modern day. Yeah, that film that just premiered at Sundance. Excuse me, Lisa Barlow is watching it as we speak at Sundance. Yes, the modern day Shelley Duvall. She was in it. No, um, that yeah. is the highest compliment. Gore Verbinski uh, deliberately chose not to cast. Now this is quite funny to me because. I had to double check a few things with this cast, and I, I don't think I quite agree with what he's saying here. Mm. He chose not to cast major stars as any of the main and supporting characters, as he wanted the film to be discovered by audiences. Naomi Watts, Martin Henderson, and Amber Tamblin would receive retroactive recognition for this film. Hern, come on, Naomi Watts was a known name before this point. <laughs> Surely. She wasn't. Was she not? Mulholland Drive was her breakthrough. Yeah, a year before this. Yeah, but... This would have been filmed when Mulholland Drive was out. I you suppose. Know? So she wouldn't yeah. have been a big name. Okay. She wouldn't. I, I can't think of any film with Naomi Watts before Mulholland Drive, really. No. Amber Tamblin, daughter of Russ. Yes. Naomi Watts just loves working with that family, doesn't she? She does. Uh, producer <laughs> Neil Edelstein. What? <laughs> Has she ever shared the screen with Russ Tamblin? Yes. No. They weren't in Peak season scene. three. No, they weren't in a scene together. No, were they? they're in the same show. She was stuck in that house. Speaking of David Lynch, producer Neil Adelstein offered David Lynch to direct this film, but he turned it down. Could you imagine this film? Laura Dern in lead. Oh, Carl McLaughlin as uh, the ex-husband. Yes, I can imagine actually. <laughs> Who would play? Uh... Stucker or Sam Samara. Samara. Okay. Um, yeah, me Watts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Or Christina. Christina Rich would make Christina Rich. Great Samara. Uh, written by Aaron Kruger, who wrote Top Gun Maverick. Oh. Dumbo, the 2019 version. Arlington Road, Reindeer Games, The Skeleton Key. That classic from the 2000s that definitely watched this film. Um, amusing that it's the same, same writer. writer. Yeah, 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 it definitely is. Uh, excuse me, can you just do what you did again? Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Darker the Moon, and Age of Extinction, and many more, including the Ghost in the Shell remake. Oh, oh dear. Budget 48 million. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was going to do a guessing game again, but I've already told you the answer. So, reminder, the original was made for $1.5 million that the director had to gather himself. Mm. This one was made for 48 fucking million. Yes. And it made 249.3 million. And until Stephen King's It in 2017, this was the highest grossing horror remake in history. And it sold more than 2 million DVD copies in the US alone in its first 24 hours of video release. And with the marketing, not even surprised. Like, they would leave the cursed tapes in the cinemas, uh, in certain cinemas around Canada yeah. and the US. Um, and before the film premiered, the killer video was used as a commercial for the film, but never mentioned that there was a film. Mm. Like, they'd show it randomly. Amazing marketing. Absolutely amazing. Let's face it. That 249.3 million, how many of those people had watched the original? 
probably a low number. Yeah. A low number. So this, I would say, is a case of people thinking that this is fresh and new and, oh, my God. Yeah. This, that, and the other, you know. Oh, can you remember? Not realising. Yeah. That the actual best bits of the film are from the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you know. Can you no remember fault. the buzz when this was first released? Oh my god, like, yeah. Huge. I remember my parents went to see it and they were absolutely raving about it. And usually that would lead to me watching the films. I don't mm. know why it took me so long to watch this. I watched the fucking sequels before I watched this. Um, but I do remember, it was on everyone's lips. Everyone knew what this film was. It was advertised all the time. You could not escape it. And it, it just, it felt like something new was happening. Yeah. within horror like even though i was like really young and only just getting into horror it felt something new and exciting was happening and that again i don't know why i didn't watch it it's interesting to look back on that time and i think we you maybe more than me but we were in that moment between yeah. buzz films word of mouth films yes yeah. and then you know internet word of mouth like the ring scream mm -hmm. you know they were the films that people were talking about between them in Perth. Mm -hmm. i don't think my mum and and dad were talking my mum and dad are slightly but different. i feel like your mum would know what this is yeah yeah no absolutely but you know at school yeah you know it was the word of mouth people have mm -hmm. seen it i want to go see it oh god it was the ring. i wasn't old enough to see it yeah it was the ring the mummy and american pie yeah oh in yeah 2002 yeah no that's... absolutely but now, obviously, where we are now is that there is a new Buzz film every single week. There is. Like, yeah. this this film's coming out. The whole internet's talking about it for about 45 minutes. And then there's the next Buzz film. Well, unless you're the new It Girl, gay icon Megan. Then but, I feel like she's going to be around for more than 45 minutes. But how long is that going to last for? Uh, well, she's already got a sequel planned, so at least another two years. <laughs> but I, I understand that. But how how long has this been? You know, I think the marketing's been quite similar to The Ring. So it's time for our second feature presentation. Before you die, you see The Ring. You see The Ring. In a very screamified version of the original opening sequence. Yes. Like, let's make no mistake very here. Scream. This does fall into, despite starting its own new trend, this definitely falls into post-scream horror. But for Supernatural. E Why, to a certain extent, it's not, it's, it's not meta, it's not self-referential. But I mean, the style. I feel like there are some camp moments here, and I feel like... I don't know. I don't know how intentional they are. This is the problem. I want to say that it's got that sort of camp horror comedy style to it in certain moments, but I don't know if it's intentional. Um, but this opening sequence alone yeah. is scream the house down boots. It is absolutely scream. Yeah, because I know it's remaking something else, but the way they handle it, the way they film it with the phone call and so on and so on. Um, the, the girls sort of bit, one of them's a bit snarky. Yeah, it's and, like yeah. the way they talk and everything. It's very much, this is a horror film made after Scream. This is how teenagers talk now. Yeah. But as much as this is falls into that category, I, I wouldn't say it is the whole film because they actually don't spend a lot of time with teenagers in this film. No, no. Very unusual for horror around this time. 
Yeah, it is an interesting one because it, it doesn't follow... I mean, I mean, like the first film, it's about an investigation, really. Yeah. Yeah. but Certainly not a slasher. Yeah, this, this screamified version of the original opening sequence, teenage girls Katie and Becca discuss all the brain cells they can lose from watching TV before discussing an urban myth about a haunted videotape that causes whoever watches it to perish in seven days. Katie confesses that she viewed the tape just a week ago of a boy called Josh. Not Josh. Yeah, Josh. Uh, if anyone's seen Scary Movie 3, they'll know how different it is not to reference certain things right now. Pamela Anderson. Is this the one with Pamela, Pamela Anderson? Anderson? Yeah, I haven't seen... She was with Josh I haven't seen weekend. Scary Movie 3. They have a pillow fight. Um, that night... Do they really? They do. Katie is murdered by an unseen That's force. more like the original. That's more like the original, yeah. <laughs> Um, we're introduced to Rachel. Oh yeah, no, she's murdered. Yeah, so, but I, I kind of didn't do that justice. No, she's murdered after a long, drawn-out version of that opening sequence. Um, you know, the slow walking, the slow door handle grabbing, there's water appearing, and it's like, okay, this is definitely going all out. This has definitely got a budget in the 40 millions. Um, you know, we're going there with this one. And it's, it, it's intense. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say it right here, right now. This film would not have made the movie it did. Mm -hmm. The money it did. I fucked that up, didn't I? This... <laughs> you sound like Harry Styles. This movie is They're like a... a it's like a movie. This, this movie is like when you go to a movie. Like a movie. Um, this film would not have made the money it did if it stuck to what made... The original Absolutely. film, great. Yeah. It would not. Western audiences, and I'm not judging because I like this film. Western audiences need more. Yeah, they need. Yeah, you know who's there? Oh, mm -hmm. they need flashes. They need Samara to be a fully formed villain. Yeah, she, she is. She is. That that's what Western audiences need. A girl and... gets a moment in the sun in this film. She she has her whole backstory. Yeah. She gets to see her face. She talks. And I like that bitch, you know, I could sit here and watch every nightmare on Elm Street sequel yeah. back to back and have the best time of my life. You know, I'm I'm not judging that. But it's blare when you watch them back to back, it's blaringly obvious how American audiences differ from Japanese audience. Mm -hmm. We're introduced to Rachel, played by Naomi Watts, the Seattle journalist, as she picks up her son, Aiden, the one kid from Robert Taylor, from school. He's quite... Uh, he's quite... She's quite oh, abrasive, isn't she? Shit, um, I forgot what podcast I'm on. Aiden, not just a star of Robert Taylor, Jeremiah, the little kid from Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. King of the remakes. I mean... Naomi Watts, Queen of the Remakes. Yeah, King of the Ball Cuts. Naomi Watts? No. <laughs> Naomi Watts is, I mean... Is she Queen, queen. of the Remakes? She what is Queen of the Remakes. Um, Good Night Mummy. Funny Games. This. What's Good Night Mummy a remake of? Good Night Mummy. What? Uh, is it a Swedish film? Good Night Mummy? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Remake of a foreign oh. language film. Uh, she was in the... Remake of that film about the killer lift, the lift. Oh, she was. She was. <laughs> she was. <laughs> oh wow, that was was that before this? That was the year before this. Yeah. yeah. yeah fucking queen. I love Naomi Watts. Oh yeah. 
Naomi Watts, the big star of the lift. Wife, wife of, uh, <laughs> wife of of Dougie Jones, from Twin Peaks. Yes, of course. Which, yeah. Mother of Sunny Jim. She was in The Impossible. She was not Oscar nominated for that. She was. Good on her. But she was in the remake of The Lift. Um, yeah, Aiden's teacher uh, is concerned about the pictures he's been drawing of Katie, who died at the start, who was his cousin, and. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Not just because he's drawing pictures of his dead cousin, but because he drew him a week ago and she only died three days ago. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. You wanted a twist, eh? Again, you know, not to think about the scene without <laughs> thinking of uh, Cindy and Brenda. I've, I've, about their sex life. I've only ever seen the first scary movie film. Yeah. No, you. I mean, yeah. You're Do I need to watch any of the others? No. The Ring stuff's great in Scary Movie Three. That's really funny. Everything else is just fucking shit. Yeah. Um, unless you've seen Signs, and that might be a bit funny. Uh, that night, when Rachel tucks Aiden into bed, he tells her he's worried he doesn't have enough time left to live, and that Katie told him that she knew she didn't have much time left as well. So Naomi Watts is getting that thing now. She's starting to look like she's in a horror film. She's like, yeah, fucking something's up here. We'll just kill this kid, get it over and done with. <laughs> Not quite so. She's a bit paranoid from the offset, she is. isn't she? She's got a lot going on. She's a woman. She swears a lot, she too. Uh, Katie's She's strong. strong. She is. Katie's funeral, uh, Katie's mum, Ruth, asks Rachel, who is her sister, to investigate the death. Fun fact about Miss um, Watts the role was originally offered to Jennifer Connolly, oh. who would later go on to star in. The remake of Dark Water. Oh. Uh, the script was then offered to Jennifer Love Hewitt, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Beckinsale, and then finally Naomi Watts. Did you notice that um, when she's getting dressed for the funeral scene, we just had, she's slaying. We had to have a bra and knicker shot. Yeah, and she fucking owned it. She looked amazing. Oh, oh, of course, of course. But it had to be. In there. Yeah, there had to be some sort of nudity the most her, yeah so. the most they could show in a pg-13 is this pg-13 pg-13 oh, wow. they cut a lot out to get pg-13 really mm-hmm. rachel is in the funeral oh, smoking area so much fucking money. yeah she's in the smoking she's area. in the smoking area she's making friends she's and smoking a drunk area. girl I mean, she loves her so you never forget how amazing you are you go out there and you slay girl you go out there next week and you live life to the fullest you don't need a man <laughs> you do fine on your own bitch you tell that man um, she you learns... can buy yourself flowers <laughs> she learns uh, from some of Katie's friends that Becca has been institutionalised after witnessing Katie's death and that Josh the guy Katie was dating also committed suicide on the night of her death Ooh. really spilling that tea in the smoking area so who tells her about this who anyone famous Oh, Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Teenager number one. <laughs> Teenager number one, Adam Brody. Yes. <laughs> Rachel goes through some of Katie's photographs and finds one where she and her friends have distorted faces. She finds out that Katie's other friends also died that night and they all died at 10pm. <gasps> Rachel goes to Shelter Mountain Inn. It is weird that it's dead on 10 o'clock. Like, dead on 10 o'clock, we're going to watch this video. Like, no, they died at 10pm. Yeah, but if it's a... a, a Suppose if it's dead on a is week. Is it a week yeah. to the It depends. Well, I mean, it depends how efficient Samara's feeling. Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, should I get it dead on this week? 
Um, the mountain retreat. Yeah, she goes to. Come, guys! I'll give her an extra ten minutes. Shelter Mountain Inn. Shoving the... <laughs> shit. I don't want to. Yeah, when the victims died at like three minutes past five, you know she's been having a bad week. Uh, Rachel goes to Shelter Mountain Inn, the mountain retreat where Katie and her friends watch the tape. She rents the same cabin and watches the tape, and it contains even more fucked up imagery than the original. Um, we get the bottom of a well, a room with one chair, a woman brushing her hair, a cliff. A finger being pushed down onto a nail. It's fucking disgusting. Yes. A river of blood, a tree on fire, maggots, a pair of ladders, a horse's eye. Did you just call me? A woman jumping off a cliff and the front of a well. After the tape ends, she receives a phone call from an unknown caller who whispers seven days. Now, this I assumed was part of the original. This, the, the phone call was saying seven days. You think it? It's like, what's that effect called? Where you feel like something's happened and it actually hasn't. Mandela. Yeah, it's a Mandela effect. Like, I always thought the original, they said seven days. Yeah. Yeah. No. Never say, they never say it once. Says seven days. They just know from the research. Yeah, you know, that it's seven They days. don't have to have it fed to them like some people. Yeah. Nearly yeah. <laughs> like Western audiences <laughs> have to have Samara's... everything fed to them. Samara's just like, this dumb bitch ain't going to get it. Seven days, look. Seven, seven days, days left. Seven days, okay. Friday seven days, afternoon. girly. Figure out my secret. <laughs> Rachel recruits the help of her video analyst ex-boyfriend Noah after proving to her that she's cursed, to him, sorry, that she's cursed by showing him her distorted selfies. Hi, camp. So camp. Her, like, he takes a picture and it's like, okay, it's like the original. She's like, no, but I need to show you these as well. And they're like, all these fucking top-notch selfies, but with her with a distorted face. Yeah, I don't know why she's taking... Because she's getting her angles in as well, <laughs> isn't she? She is. She's putting effort into those selfies. Uh, Noah watches the tape and he's like, well, that's a very student film, wasn't it? I know, yeah, he's not a psychic <laughs> in this one. He's um, a... A videographer. He's a videographer. He's a cinema snob. <laughs> It's a cinephile. Cinephile. Um, he he watches it and Rachel makes him a copy. <laughs> she, like, she got David Lynch to, to it. Do you know him? Gave, gave it two stars on Letterboxd. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even give it a love heart. <laughs> but I've seen better on YouTube. Um, yeah, so Rachel makes him a copy so they could both investigate where it came from. And Rachel begins to see images from the tape appear in the real world. <gasps> Something one Miss Cool tried to copy, the American remake, and failed miserably because it was fucking stupid. This is a film that does. Oh, I'm like that's from the video. Oh, lots of films do it. This one specifically in my head. I think it's interesting. It's something that's different. Isn't the Babadook it? has images from the book appearing. Yeah, no, no. I think it'll come to me at some point, probably tomorrow morning. Um, yeah, but I think it's interesting that this is something that the original didn't do. Yeah, so. The video was nonsensical in the first one, mm -hmm. whereas this kind of follows a pattern and it's like a more of a jigsaw. It's more of a film. Yeah. It's yeah. more of a film. Like I said, the original with the performances and the pace it takes and so on, you know, it's very, it's all very, the most natural a supernatural film could feel. Mm. The most, the most realistic a film with such a ridiculous premise can feel. This is like, we are making a film. This is Hollywood and... We're going to go all out. 
Yeah, and I, I think it, I, I do think it helps with the visual aha moments. Yeah, to keep interest. Oh, and it's it works for what it does. You know, it's good at it, so yeah. can't complain. No. She discovers hidden imagery of a lighthouse and identifies a woman on the tape and gets a nosebleed whilst printing the images off and taking a fly out of a TV screen. Yeah. So this is another... It's a different way of doing the foreboding yeah. thing. Like, she's physically... In many ways, deteriorating. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum cameo. I'm here all week. She learns that the woman on the tape was a horse breeder. What were those jokes? And a Morgan, who killed herself after... And a Morgan? That's her name. She's a Morgan. She's a Morgan. It's Sonia Morgan. Yeah. You don't touch the Morgan letters. <laughs> Ever. Well, now you feel bad, because Anna Morgan killed herself after some of her horses drowned themselves uh, off of Mosco Island. She loved those horses, bless her. Yeah, I do feel bad, actually. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> Poor Anna Morgan and her attachment to those horses. Um, there's a lot to say about the horses in this film. We'll, we'll get to that a little later. There's one particular moment with a horse that I enjoyed. One particular moment that I was told was one of the most disturbing scenes of all time. Like, my, my parents were like, oh my god, this scene with the horses, oh, it's bad, it is, it's really bad, oh my god, it's so scary. We'll get to that shortly. Stay tuned. Noah realises whilst in a shop that his face is distorted on the cameras. Rachel, in the meantime, pulls a big string of hair out of her mouth and the phone starts leaking. It does. Um, I find, what I find interesting in this, uh, in the remake, is that their investigations are, for the most part, separate. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely Empire Strikes Back it. They split up and... It is, uh, yeah, they're not together. So they haven't really got that bond there, so you don't really... Whereas there's quite... there's The emotional value in the original was the fact that they spent more time together. You felt like they were maybe connected again, like yes. they're bonding over this. Yeah. Uh, this one, I don't think she gives a shit. Well, they, they argue for the first part, don't they? Mm. And then, yeah, they kind of go their separate ways and come yeah. together at the end. And... Um, yeah, so she goes into Aiden's bedroom and finds the creeper girl from the videotape in there. She then grabs Rachel's arm and Rachel wakes up with a handprint on her arm. Just like Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Rachel then finds Aiden watching the tape and <gasps> fucking Naomi Watts goes for it. Yeah, she overdramatic, like, no! And like fucking puts her hands over his eyes after he's watched it and she is, like, this, is giving us everything. This is her Oscar moment. This is her Oscar scene. For the ring. A mother trying her best to stop him from watching a tape he's just watched. She takes the tape out, throws it across the room, and Aiden says he watched it because he couldn't sleep. I love how the original, they're like, yeah, the dead girl from the start told me to watch it. And it's like, oh, okay, that's quite creepy. And this one's like, I'm just going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see what's on TV. Bit of ASMR <laughs> with maggots and uh, nail through the finger. Do you know what I didn't realise? And it's only because it's popped into my head, but I think it's a bit funny. It's got nothing to do with what just happened. The title, The Ring. Yeah. I didn't... I don't know why I'm admitting this. I didn't realise it could also mean a telephone ring. I fucking get this my house. Until fairly recently. I was like, oh, The Ring! <laughs> I always thought it meant 
the circle, the iconic circle image on the tape. Yeah, I just see like the well for the lights yeah. in the in, from the bottom Doesn't of mean the, the well. phone doesn't mean the phone call though. It means the plot. The full oh, circle. It's going in circle. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what it means. And bummels. Leaving Aiden in Ruth's care, Rachel heads for Moscow Island to speak to Anna's widower, Richard. Whilst Noah travels to Iola Eola Psychiatric Hospital. It's not a real place, is it? No. Psychiatric Hospital to view Anna's medical files. Now, in a bizarre series of events, the scene that was to I was told was so disturbing and absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I've never known what happens in this scene. I know something happens, but I've never known. And my mind went in some weird places. I wasn't expecting this. No. Rachel walks up to a horse. Now, obviously, there's the connection of Anna and her horses. So, you know, as Chris said during the original, children and animals, supernatural. Right? So she goes to this horse. She's like, hey, boy. Hey, baby, gorgeous. <laughs> Mind your own business and this would never have happened. Hey, baby, gorgeous. How you doing? Yeah. And she's like trying to have a conversation with this fucking horse. And the horse like, bitch, fuck off now i don't care if you're naomi watts fuck off i'm not in the mood for it and the horse is getting agitated she keeps talking to it more and she doesn't leave no she keeps going <laughs> she keeps talking to this horse no matter how pissed off it's getting she stays and she talks and talks and talks she's like the pisshead <laughs> on a night out that you give a cigarette to and then they he, won't leave you alone and then he feels the need to have a whole conversation with you yeah. and it's like no just take it and leave just go away uh and the horse gets so pissed off to the point it breaks out of its fucking car tries to attack her misses and fucking leaps to its death off it the, is off the, off the boat off the boat off the boat into the propeller underneath the boat it is fucking high cab. Now, thankfully, it's, it's clearly a CGI horse. So you don't really... It's, it doesn't come across as, oh, my God, it's that animal cruelty. No, it's a CGI horse. So you're allowed to laugh. It's I... Yeah, obviously, we love animals on the podcast. And it's a shocking scene when, <laughs> you know, you realise that, that the horse has been killed with the propeller. But when it falls into the water, the CGI hasn't necessarily <laughs> aged the best. Much like, I've never seen them fall in later on in the film. Yeah. And I have to say, I laughed. It was high it, camp. It was high camp. It was funny. Because the CGI made it look like the horse had just... Oh! Oh no! <laughs> it's like, oh shit! <laughs> Thanks Naomi Watts! <laughs> like, you just like falling out. Oh, Walter! <laughs> A little pony that falls over. It was just, I just like, I just, yeah. Rachel's high, like, high camp. <laughs> Rachel's like, oh, what well, that happened? <laughs> she gets over it quite quickly, doesn't she? She's actually. shocked at the time. Like the the owner of the horse is in hysterics. Like she's so upset. Um, it's just a child as well who fucking owns the horse. Well, she turns around and oh everyone's gathered around, and she's like, uh, she's like, oh, you don't see that every day, do you? Bye, everyone. <laughs> Wasn't my fault. And on the island, she's back to normal. Rachel's over it. She discovers Anna had an adopted girl, Samara. But Richard, played by Brian Cox, claims that it's not true. No, not the scientist. Brian Cox, the actor. Yes. Just to confirm. 
Which favourite scientist that shares the name of an actor? Because then I have three. Is there more than one? Yeah. Oh, no. That's idiot. What? <laughs> Am I wrong? It's Bill Nye, the science guy. So it's about the same, isn't it? No. Um, N-Y-E. Well. Bill Nye. We've had this discussion before. Have we? <laughs> we have. On a podcast? <laughs> no, in, okay. in real life. Well, now it's... <laughs> in real life. Well, now it's immortalised. It's immortalised Bill Nye, the science guy. In a hundred years from now, someone will discover this podcast and they'll be like, that fucking dumb bitch. Bill Nye, end of of sentence. You know, he's living his best life currently. Only I'm allowed to make a bad joke. Um, Aiden reveals that Samara showed him the house on a picture that he drew for Rachel. She doesn't like it in the barn uh, attached to the house because the horses keep her up at night. Samara does this. She doesn't live there anymore. She lives in a dark place. Proposal. <laughs> Anyone from Coventry? Anyone from Coventry will get that. Anyone else that have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Rachel speaks to the, the island. Mostly, they're mostly noisy at night. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's the aliens one? That's funny. <laughs> mostly just come out at night mostly <laughs> mostly Rachel speaks to the island there's, there's, a, there's an aliens moment later isn't there is there you know that awkward dialogue there's some real awkward dialogue coming up okay do you not agree I, I might not have this down Ooh. Rachel speaks to the island physician uh, who explains that Anna adopted Samara due to her infertility Samara possessed the ability to psychically etch images onto objects and into people's minds, tormenting her parents and those fucking horses. Oh. I think Susan Boyle sang about that. Well, remember in the original when she literally just put her rage into a videotape and was done with it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Noah finds a psychiatric file on Samara, which mentions a missing video record uh, last seen by Richard. Returning to the Morgan home, Rachel finds the missing video, watching it to discover Samara explaining her powers during a therapy session. I'd be insane. Discovering Rachel, Richard strikes her and then electrocutes himself in the bath. (laughs) Very elaborate as well. Yeah. Like, why did the TV have to be in there? And it's like 20 cords go into this one thing and then he electrocutes himself. I understand that we had to have a death scene somewhere because yeah. of audiences, mm-hmm. Western audiences, but why so elaborate? <laughs> like, well, before he dies, he insists that Samara is malevolent and Rachel's actions have put them all in danger. Noah arrives and he and Rachel enter the barn. In a lift converted to a bedroom to isolate Samara from her mum, they find an image of a tree behind the wallpaper. Rachel recognises it as a tree at the Shouter Mountain Inn. She knows her trees, she? does. Um, Oh, I do know what dialogue you're on about. Rachel returns with Noah to the cabin at Shouter Mountain Inn, where they are led to a well beneath the floorboards. They remove the lid, and Rachel, in a bizarre series of events, is pushed inside by a falling TV. (laughs) Everyone hates Naomi Watts in this film. A fucking TV... Horse, her son, Brian Cox, Samara, you know, the fucking Newell hater. Um, but yeah, and CGI Naomi Watts, hilarious. 
Yeah, that is yeah, that is quite funny. I think it's the ghost of the horse came back and just fucking like, how do you like it, bitch? Yeah, yeah. Maybe the horse was haunting the TV. <laughs> a hand grabs her and Rachel experiences a vision of Anna suffocating Samara with a bin bag before pushing her into the well, where she survived for seven days. Samara's body surfaces from the water. After Rachel is rescued from the from the well, they arrange a proper burial for Samara. Noah tells Rachel that they are now safe as more than seven days have passed since she watched the tape. And the dialogue is something special. <laughs> Rachel says, I can't imagine. No, no, no. Noah, Noah says, says, I can't imagine being stuck down a well like that. I wonder how long you could survive. And Rachel says, Seven days. <laughs> you could survive for seven days. <laughs> How the fuck does she know that? <laughs> That's oddly specific. It's very specific. How long do you think you could survive done a well for days? Seven days. Yeah, seven days. Aiden warns Rachel that it was a mistake to try and help Samara. Rachel realizes that Noah's seven days are up and rushes to save him, but the vengeful ghost of Samara materializes on his TV screen. Crawls out of it and murders him. Again, I it's an iconic scene. Everyone knows it. It is, yes. Yeah. And it's slightly more intense in the way that Naomi Watts again, she's giving it her all in this performance and the way she's rushing there and like, oh fuck, is she gonna get no time? Of course not, no, because unlike most people who watch this, we watch the original. I think I think maybe people were aware. It's difficult at the time because obviously it also been four years since the original. Yeah. So people just may, and I'm talking about Western audiences Western here. Audiences. Western audiences, you know, maybe because you didn't have DVD. Well, you may have had DVDs, but not everyone had DVDs at the mm. time. It could have been a VHS of Ring, but I, I don't see it being one of those everyone watched it kind of films. Did you until know the remake? Well, did you know it was a remake when it was first released and it was getting all the marks? I been... did. I did. I as well. did. Yeah. Yeah. But. Horror was my thing. Yeah. This is a PG-13, you know... It is horror, of course it is. But it's a PG-13, we're trying to get the widest audience possible... Yeah. ...kind of film. Uh-huh. Like, Megan is a horror film, mm -hmm. but it's trying to bring in the non-horror audience. The Saturday night popcorn... We're going to talk throughout the film audience. Yeah, basically. I mean, their money's just as good as anyone else's. Yeah. So, and really, it was very yeah. successful at it. Yeah. The effects in the scene, not as good as the original. No. It's, they've added CGI to it and it's very obvious. Like, the strange movements and everything in the original, that was the actress, you know, actually doing that. She... She did it all, you know, they filmed a bit in reverse. Mm. This, it's like a little glitch in bits and everything. It's kind of like, uh... Well, it's given take on me. It's, yeah. Du, 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 yeah. It's, but, I mean, it's an, it is an it's iconic, iconic scene. Yeah. It is an iconic yeah. scene. And he's wearing sandals that suddenly disappear. Mm -hmm. um, I wish we would have seen them fly into the air. Yeah. I think it's the funniest thing when flip-flops fall off people's feet when they fall over. Maybe that's what they cut out. Or like when Shangela does a death grab and she <laughs> breaks her neck. It's the funniest thing. 
Well, Rachel doesn't find his flip-flops, but she does find his disfigured body. And uh, she lets his bit on the side, his assistant that he's shagging, she lets her go ahead and find a body. She watches her she go. She does. <laughs> like, you deserve bitch. this bitch. <laughs> like, she just lets her go up the elevator. Sure, everyone else hates me. I might as well. Not even warning her. I know she's got a weird haircut, <laughs> but, you know, they need to punish her. Yeah. Um, and she returns home to yell at Aiden and destroy the videotape. Unable to uh, figure out why she was spared, she realises that the videotape seen by Noah and Aiden was a copy she'd created. So Rachel has Aiden make a copy of the copy to show someone else saving him from Samara. But having the ring go around in circles forever. Really. Yes. Well, I suppose not, unless somebody just died. I mean, yeah, if, if they don't figure out how to get rid of the curse, then yeah. Like, if they just gave it, gave the tape to, you know, whoever, who, mm-hmm. who would they even give it to? Uh, his bit on the, his, no, his bit on the side. Maybe. Um, but if she just died, surely that's the end. Well, yeah. If there's only one videotape. Until someone else finds it. Yeah. But that's the ring. Or, or until VHS has become obsolete. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we didn't have that long to wait, and that's the ring. That's the that's the ring. It is. Yeah, a modern <laughs> horror classic. That's what you thought. Of modern, the ring. modern horror classic. I and I stand by that. It's uh, you know, watching it. I think if I watched it at the time, it might have been a ten out of ten for me. Like it would have blown my mind. But watching it now, when everything's come out for it, I had to kind of remind myself, like, oh no, this isn't generic. This is the first time this was done. Like, a lot of the things in this. Mm, like, yeah. I know it's a remake, but a lot of the whole, like, music video cinematography and the ghost girl being overused and, you know, just a few little tropes here and there that just were blew up in horror cinema in the 2000s, uh, for better or for worse. Um, you kind of had to remind yourself, okay, this is the one that launched that. Um, and in that case, you know, it does it really well. Yeah, I, I think it's solid. I th- I think it takes from the original and builds upon yeah. it for a Western audience. Yeah. And I think it's very successful at doing that. So we're looking at, you know, it's the same plot, but done for a different audience. Mm-hmm. And both films are very successful at that. Mm-hmm. And... From the perspective of a Western audience, for, for me, you know, if I had watched The Ring in 2002, I completely agree. I would have loved it. I would mm-hmm. have thought it was so great, wonderful. And I and I still do, you know, but having watched so many of a horror, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a picky bitch sometimes. I understand that. Um, but yeah, I think it does what it needs to do and what it sets out to do expertly. Yeah. So let's see who's getting all the points. Cinematography scares, kills the soundtrack. We have 1998, uh, the constantly atmospheric cinematography and soundtrack throughout kills again, subtle, but it is fucking scary. Yeah, I mean, essentially, in the first film, there's only two kills. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the first one which doesn't give too much away, Mm -hmm. you know, works. And then the second one, 
that gives it all away. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just... that's, you know, perfect. Yeah. It's, it's ingenious. Yeah, it is. It you is. know, don't give us anything and then you give us everything. Yeah. And it's a slow build in terror as well. Like I said, you always feel like that presence is there and the score really helps with that. It doesn't do a lot, but it does enough. Um, and the cinematography, you know, it just, there's that feeling there all the time and it really works. Yeah, I I liked how the cinematography, it, it always felt a dullness to it. Yeah. Like there was a cloud or something mm-hmm. in the air following them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's deliberate or, you know, just 1998. But I do. I liked that. I really dug that. I found with the remake, it looked like a Hollywood production. It looked like it cost. Well, I have a fact actually. A fact that actually really impressed me Tell going into it. this. Um, for the choice of the film's color, it was decided that everything was to be tinged with the color green to give the film a sickly, unnatural feeling. Mm. And sets are also lit in a way that none of the characters have a shadow, to create a suspicious sense mm. of. And I, I actually appreciate it a lot more knowing that because, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like it was just done to be lazy like a lot of other films did this exact same cinematography yeah. following it. Um, it actually feels like it was done by design and I think it really works. I mean, it's dark, it's damp and again, it's dull, but in a different way. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it's a specific type of light in there. Again, the original feels more natural with its lightning, uh, lightning, lighting. Um, but this, you know, it, it's clearly a film. Again, you know, it's a film trying to be a film. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so many of the films use it in such a lazy, tacky way, but I think it works here. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it makes up some creepy scenes. The, the problem is, the score is composed by Hans Zimmer, which is fantastic. Um, but it's very paint by numbers. It's very much what you'd expect in a film like this. Which isn't necessarily a bad No, it isn't. Thing, it isn't. But it's not in our, memorable. Yeah, in what we're doing right now, comparing the two, mm, yes. the original's more memorable by doing less. Yes. This just felt like it was every other score, which is a shame yeah. for Hans Zimmer. Um, overuse of CGI, could have done without that. Yeah. Especially on the TV coming out scene. Yeah, because it hasn't aged very well mm. in particular. Yeah, that's true. And the kills are slightly more exciting than the original, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're better. I, I, yeah, I think the context is, you know, was Brian Cox electrocuting himself in the bath mm. necessary? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm inclined to. I mean, it, it was. Well, it wasn't really a kill. I suppose it was killing himself. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I'm inclined to give all four to the original. Yeah, no, I would, yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Because, I mean, I, I think the cin- cinematography is better. I think the scare, yeah, the main scare, mm-hmm. is so much better in the original. Yeah. And then kills and, and soundtracks. But... Now on to characters. We have Reiko and Rachel in 1998. Reiko is played by Nanako Matsushima. And uh, 2002 by Naomi Watts. Um, again, you know, I said earlier on, uh, Nanaku Matsushima, her performance just feels very natural. And I think she's fantastic, you know, at making it, a, making a film that's very unbelievable feel a little believable. 
Yeah, she has a nice sort of sensibility about about her and mm. about the the character, uh, and the actress conveys that very well. Yeah, sort of. You are kind of on her side. She shouldn't actually do or say a massive no. amount. No, really, but she is the heart of the film, yeah. and you know she. Jessica Fletcher's it up. She does. She investigates and she gets the info she needs. Yeah. Whereas Rachel, I think, is maybe a more memorable character mm. because she's quite abrasive at the beginning. She's um, She investigates more by herself. Mm-hmm. She's a little louder. She's got more opinions, I feel. Yeah. She argues with her ex-boyfriend, so... She slays the house down. She does. Naomi Watts came out to act, despite being in, you know, a horror film, which a lot of people would probably just phone it in, Mm. you know, but Naomi Watts, I think she does a fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, mean, for all intents and purposes, this was her actual major break. Yeah. Really. Mm -hmm. You know, we all love Mulholland Drive, and it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah go down as one of the best films in history this was her breakout yeah this was her main role mm-hmm. face on the poster around the world yeah you know people actually understood what the film was about yeah kind of breakthrough <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think it could go to either but i want to give it to naomi watts I, like she... I would give it to to rachel i i think she just has a little more about her mm-hmm um, just in terms of personality, yeah, as a character, but mm-hmm. I think both performances are great. Uh, next up, we have Ryuji and Noah. Ryuji played by Hiroyuki Sanada, and Noah played by Martin Henderson, the dad from The Strangers Pray at Night and the cameraman from X. Mm-hmm. Or should I say the director from X? Actually, yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean to be honest. They're not too far apart with everything they do, but I feel like the better performance comes from Hiroyuki Sanada. I feel like the psychic thing's more interesting with him. Um, yeah, Martin Henderson just plays a two thousands boyfriend. Yeah, I do. I do think the the original Reiji's more likable. Yeah, I think a lot more likable. And I felt a little more when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the remake, he was... And I, again, I knew he was going to die, but I didn't really feel for him when he died. No. I was just like, oh, okay. You know. Um, he was... A, I don't know. He didn't really have much of a personality, if I'm being honest. No. No, he didn't. Not really. Because he wasn't necessarily a douchebag, but also wasn't a good guy... No, really. but, I, but I still felt like I'd seen his I character. I mean, he did. He more. did confess that he just wasn't ready for a kid. Yeah, which kind of makes him a douche because mm-hmm. he kind of just left Naomi what, uh, Rachel in the lurch. Yeah. Yes. We'll give it to Hiroyuki <laughs> yes. Sonata. Yes. <laughs> and we have Yoichi and Aiden, nineteen ninety eight, played by Rakia Otaka, and two thousand and two, played by David Dorfman. With all due respect, David Dorfman. Has the right look for a creepy kid. He was, yeah, he was scarier than Samara. <laughs> um, 
He yeah, he really creeps it up um in this role. And did you know this remake was pushed through because of the success of the Sixth Sense? Right. His character makes a lot more sense right. when you realize that. Hence the bigger role in the yeah. remake. Yeah. No, it's a shame because I mean Rukaya Otaka, you know, she doesn't get anything to do. He's just neglected. Much like his character, the the actor's neglected throughout the whole film, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think the film is reliant on him being a kid yeah. and his parents wanting to protect him and kind of didn't have to explain more than that. Yeah. Vital to the plot, but you just don't see him a lot. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, technically, it's, it's David Dorfman by default, because you get to see him more. Yeah. Uh, but he, I mean, he does a good yeah. job. He does a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if you really want to compare this one, because there's not really a lot to compare. Um, but maybe you want to say who's creepier, I don't know. Um, Sadako and Samara, 1998, Rai Inno, and 2002, Dave Chase. It's a difficult one, because the, the character in the original is... And barely on yeah, screen, you know, and, see and that's the point. <laughs> yeah, in the remake, she's a more rounded character yeah. and on screen more. And again, that's the point. It, mm-hmm. it, they both work in their own way. So, I would say, like, the draw. I'd, really, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd say the original just because she's creepier. I think she looks better. Yeah, in the uh, original, uh, in terms of coming out the screen and um, the sort of visuals mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah the original now to our final four awards oh we have biggest queen it's a tie for me between rico and rachel oh well you're allowed to do that i, I put rachel just because she had just a little more character yes but yeah. both super queens biggest gasp um I didn't look at it as in my biggest gasp this time. Just in general, like, if I watched this first time and I didn't know what was going to happen, biggest gasp as a whole is Sadako crawling out of the TV in the original because I, I feel it'd be... Uh, I, I don't think he'd be doing it justice if I said anything else. Yeah, I completely agree. Iconic. You know, it's one of the biggest gasps gasp. of horror cinema history. It so. certainly is. Best dialogue, I have, of course, can't imagine being stuck down a well like that. I wonder how long you could survive. Seven days. You could survive seven days. I completely agree. <laughs> seven days. That's camp. I'm not giving it a tie, but I do have some honourable mentions. Right. The main one, the one that's winning, is the horse that has some sort of grudge against Naomi Watts. Honourable mentions go to Rachel and her distorted selfies. On a digital camera to see if she's cursed or not. That's true. And a TV knocking CGI Naomi Watts into a well. That's true. Um, I went for the CGI horse in the sea. But I completely agree on the uh, high-angled selfies. <laughs> Getting a best tides. <laughs> and with that being said, our winner is Ringu from 1998. Yes. Ratings. Oh. What do you give the original? I give the original nine VHS copies of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade out of ten. I give the original ten psychic ex-husbands who become useful again when you need a hand taken down a cursed videotape out of ten. It's never explained why he just came back into <laughs> their lives like that. Like, oh, I've been dying for an investigation. Oh, my son's still around? Yeah. yeah. But I will, inv- I will help you investigate. He has pictures of his son in his apartment, so he secretly cared all along. Ah, 
Did he really? Yeah, did you oh, not I see that? that. No, and no. pictures of uh, Rico as well. Really? Yeah. Oh. oh wow. And a remake? I gave it eight. Wait, was that four-time Oscar nominee Jane Alexander? <laughs> Why is this one of her known films on IMDb? She's barely in it. Out of ten. Okay. I'll give it. She, Jane Alexander is in it for such a short time she is. that you didn't even mention her in your round. That's true. That's true. I did. The um, physician. Did you actually mention? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She's literally in it for yeah. like four minutes. In one scene. This is literally like. There's nothing to say about it. Jane Alexander, yeah. Oscar nominee, all the president's men, you know, fucking Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> four time Oscar nominee. I was like, oh, Jane Alexander's in this. Blink and you'll miss her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I give the remake eight horses who ain't Naomi Watts out of ten. <laughs> now, if obviously we recommend you checking out both films. And if you want to find the original, head on to Shudder, BFI Player, Arrow Player, Video On Demand, DVD or Blu-ray and you'll find it. If you want to watch the remake... It's available less places. It's on DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand. And the Blu-ray is only available for a steelbook. Wow. Yeah, go premium for it. And if you enjoyed the original, I recommend watching Pulse. Very, very much the same non-stop dread and atmosphere. Very similar technology, supernatural. Yeah. Good choice. If you like the original, I recommend watching Dark Water. Same director, same... Yeah. Writer, very similar, not as good, but yeah, highly recommend. And if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend watching The Grudge 2004 remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Ooh, if you like the remake, I suggest watching Sinister. If you like yeah. people investigating creepy old videos. Yeah, makes sense. Sinister's maybe a better film. Um... <laughs> Ooh. And now it's time for our best and worst new releases of the first month of the year. Wow, for January, which is the first month of the year. We don't often do well. We don't often do this, but I'm going to go with the worst first Ooh, um, okay. this time because maybe we always do. I don't know um, because it's the first new release you watched of the year. Yeah, we want to end on a high, don't we? Yeah, and yeah. this is the first new release you watched of the year. So oh, was fitting. it? Okay. Yeah. If yours is the same, that is. It's likely. It is the visually stunning Oscar-nominated masterpiece, a love letter to cinema. It's Empire of Light. Yes, that was very disappointing. If you want to watch Olivia Colman cure racism, defeat <laughs> schizophrenia, shag yes. Colin Firth, and become a cinephile all within two hours. This is the film for you. If you want to watch a good film, maybe go watch something else. Yeah, this is the problem. Is that it, it can... It's... I'm just going to say it. It's a very wanky film. Yeah. It's very... Um, it's not preachy, but it kind of... It's like, oh, cinema heals all. And it just feels like Oscar bait. Yeah. And yeah, it just... It feels like Sam Mendes was bored one day, fancied an Oscar. I was like, oh, okay, I'm yeah. going to throw some random ideas together. Insincere to the point of nausea. Yeah. I would say. It is. It is. Yes, I, can, I completely agree. That was very disappointing. And for the best of the month, it is a never film. This did get nominated for Oscars, didn't it? 
Tar. Of course it did. Best Picture. Uh, is it nominated yeah. for Best Picture? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Tar. Tar is my best of the month. Is that your best of the month? Absolutely. Yeah. Really, really fucking incredible. Like, I mean, a fantastic piece of cinema that really quite fit in with what we've been discussing today in the way that there is an atmosphere in this film. It's not a horror film, but there's some sort of atmosphere there building throughout this film. Mm. And it very much does it through the cinematography and the sound design. Um like little touches like I didn't notice the surround sound coming in until later on in the film and the cinematography like the set locations and stuff they're wider when it begins and it gets smaller as it goes on and of course Kate Blanchett is just amazing in this lead role it's just really fantastic if you have you know two and a half hours spare go and watch this film yeah it it's it does something that I love when films do is when they take something that I don't really know too much about and makes it accessible mm -hmm. but doesn't dumb it down yeah but makes it interesting and makes it kind of relatable yeah it, it, in a way not I didn't relate to the character but in terms of do you understand what I mean I know what you mean yeah, Take, yeah. taking something and making it you know People could relate to what the emotions. Yeah, yeah, I think so. This is why I don't write reviews for <laughs> for Letterboxd. <laughs> well, for our honourable <laughs> mentions, we have Pale Flower. Yes. Yeah, that was very good. Wasn't it was. It? Yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, yeah, January has been long, isn't it? Yes. To sleep, so has to dream. Uh, which is a little hidden masterpiece that really needs to be seen more because it hasn't been seen by a lot of people. Such a great, weird yeah. film. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Till, uh, the fact that Danielle Deadweiler has not been nominated for an Oscar is a crime. Yeah, no, just a fantastic film, really. And that performance is amazing. Yeah. Re no, really, just yeah. you know, Till and Tar. I think I could say was joint best mm -hmm. of of the month. I really liked Till. Yeah, I, I just thought that was it. It took you know a, a story that I knew and sort of gave it. Like I, I understand it's based on a, a real story, you know, a real life story. But sometimes with history, we become detached from mm -hmm. it. It feels like, oh, well, that happened ages ago. Yeah. But it made it feel raw and real. Mm -hmm. And Daniela, uh, Danielle Deadweiler mm. is, was integral to that. Yeah. Her performance was astounding. I, re I just thought she was amazing. Uh, Haruko the Goblin, which is just more batshit crazy horror from Shinya Tsukamoto and um, a director that I stand by saying is one of the greatest horror directors of all time. Um, not enough people watch his films. Yeah, a great little weird film from a, a weird filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he makes lots of weird films. And finally, the Queen herself. She's an icon. She is the moment. She's a gay icon. She's taken over cinema. It's Megan. Shut up. <laughs> Megan is the it girl at the moment. 
She gave me everything I could possibly want. I've seen it twice within a month. I just, I love her. I love the film. It is more clever satirical writing from the team that brought you Malignant. It's just fantastic. We were promised camp and I was nervous, but we were delivered camp. Yeah. Thank God. And I just, if anything, more camp, please, for Megan yeah, 2.0. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. But that's this month's Original Versus Remake episode. If you're a fan of anything we've spoken about today, The Ring or any of the best and worst films, if you somehow enjoyed Empire of Light, we're Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrible Trash on Twitter, and Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. A very short amount of time to submit your films for our horror festival gasp you go on gasp horror fest on social media if you're a filmmaker and you want to submit and you can meet our guidelines get it submitted you got until yes. february 6th yeah the clock's ticking uh give us a rate review and subscribe on itunes like seven and follow days. on everything else seven days <laughs> Like a follow on effing house. Not quite, is it? And, uh... That's close. Very close. Next month's Original Versus Remake uh, for Women in Horror Month, we will be discussing Slumber Party Massacre. Yes. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks well, for confirming. It's exciting. It's you your choice. You keep getting me to give my opinions. I mean, people need to wait for my opinions well, on these films. That's true. And on Tuesday, we are finishing Japanuary with a discussion about... Uh, speaking of Mulholland Drive in this episode, just Perfect Blue. <gasps> yes. A film that David Lynch may have may or may not have watched before Mulholland Drive. Maybe. It's a, a, it's a great film. It is. And tune in to hear more yes. of my opinion on Perfect Blue. Yes. Back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.